0: This is a sobering, uh, yet hopefully encouraging message that I want to deliver this morning from the book of Romans. Perhaps you have an outline that you can get back in the back if uh, you don't already have one. The pain that uh, you and I might be experiencing um, can't compare to the joy that is coming. affliction anguish and all the rest stalk us gets in our path on the race that is set before each one of us like a hungry pack of jackals and if that weren't the end of the story this life would be rather miserable but but there is something coming that doesn't compare and that's what i want to give a message on this morning so let's pray father i ask that you would come in the power of the holy spirit and help me to speak as i ought for every soul in this room this morning i pray that you would engage them in a special way may there be application to this message O oh god for each person this I pray in Jesus precious name amen I've entitled the message there will be no comparison well who are we what's happening and what is to come well we are children of God if you have your Bibles we are in the book of Romans chapter 8 I think the passages will show up, most of them, on the screen for you this morning. Starting in verse 16. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's a rather subjective testing, but it is an inner verification brought on by the indwelling Holy Spirit to give confidence and an inner knowledge of surety that you have a close abba kind of relationship with God we know that from verse 15 for it says for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry abba father abba is an aramaic word for father Used by Jesus and the Apostle Paul and lots of little children, especially in the first century. Used by Paul and Jesus to address the father in a relation in relation to, a, to personal intimacy. Again, Jewish children would address their fathers at times with this term, which is akin to saying, Papa, a Daddy. This would go beyond a knowledge, which is based on a child's position of being offspring or based on family positions, beyond that. It also is not just some stoic standing. I am a daughter or I am a son of the father, as good as that might be. But it is a term for a son or daughter having a secure and loving relationship with their father. We are also heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. Scripture tells us our inheritance is imperishable, unspoiled, unfading, reserved for you. The idea of an heir is that you have something in store for you yet to come. We don't see it in its entirety. Your inheritance is set aside, Scripture tells us, in a safe place. Certainly, your heavenly inheritance, not to mention the treasures that you store up in heaven by what you do now, there there are some exceptions if you are a benefactor you some have asked for their inheritance before the death of the grantor we know there have been some who have asked for their family inheritance before the grantor dies the prodigal son did that didn't he well that situation To ask for your inheritance before you pass on can't happen with this one although we've been told we've been given a what a down payment that down payment is what the Holy Spirit the kingdom inheritance includes but is not limited to the glory to be fully revealed that no more tears no disease and no death thing your glorified physical perfected body is absolutely coming if we know christ we've been given that down payment of the holy spirit now here's a few scriptures that are going to come up on your screen to cement that assertion so are very encouraging passages so in first peter chapter one verses 3 through 5. Let's read this together. It's coming up on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. It's coming, I think. Do you have those? Or you do not have it. Okay. That means I've got to know where passages are in my Bible, right? So let's go. Let's first Peter, first Peter, chapter one, verses three through five. Praise be to the Lord, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that cannot spoil or fade. Watch this: kept in heaven for you. Second Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 22, says this. He sets his seal of ownership on us. Set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. like to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. Verse 13 says, and you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal... The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. Lastly, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So we are God's children, and we are heirs of God in Christ. So so what is happening? We are having something happen to us. It's a common experience for all humanity. But Paul underlines this in verse 17 of Romans. He says that if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Sharing in his sufferings. It's a a promise. It's not a condition. In other words, Paul is not arguing that we have to make sure we suffer. Hey, you know what? I don't feel like I'm suffering very much. i got to kind of make that happen for me. No, that's not what he's talking about. If it isn't occurring... In the here and now for you in the present we don't conjure or cause it no it is simply a fact it will come when it comes just don't be so surprised about it the level of intensity may be different from individual to individual but it is guaranteed if you're following hard after Christ all those Paul said to his understudy Timothy will be persecuted if you desire to live a godly life. Jesus is often found promising the same in the Gospels. So we are God's children. We are co-heirs with God, the Father, and Christ. We also now share in the sufferings. and what is to come? We will share, the second part of verse 17, we will share in his glory. In order that we may also share in his glory. Paul is saying if we share in one aspect, that is suffering as a fact, if you follow Christ, what happens is we will suffer opposition, ridicule, slander, persecution, the pains and troubles we will go through with both being human and living in fallen creation, living under what Paul the Apostle in the book of Galatians says the God, the little g of this world, who is Satan, there is going to be something we will experience that has no comparison. No comparison at all, at all. The glory, it's coming. We will be recipients of disease and sickness, relational trials, accidents, natural disasters, to name a few. Not to mention the difficulties in what will occur for us directly following Jesus on behalf of hostile unbelievers, persecution. There is a glory, there is a glory coming. There is a glory coming. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says this. Back up to 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Verse 17 for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all which leads to that there is no comparison in what awaits us Romans chapter 8 verse 18 I love this passage I consider That our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This gives meaning to any of your present sufferings. In this room this morning, there are no doubt present sufferings and sicknesses and diseases, all kinds of troubles. Some have acute or chronic health issues, financial problems, relational squabbles and discord. By the way, with any of those difficulties, we don't just have to suck it up, although you do, and have to continue to run the race that is set before you, but God is still our rescuer. God is still our healer god still fixes so to speak broken nets he is still a worker of deliverance from troubles and is still in the business of miracles if god for whatever doesn't right now bring a remedy to our troubles present trust the word of god which says suffering will lead to our glory what ultimately awaits us is that all our impurities will be removed a fallen diseased broken body gone replaced by a perfected one What awaits us is a kingdom that has no flaws in its existence. A joy, a joy that in human terms will be inexpressible. Fellowship with the triune God that will be so perfectly intimate, you cannot put adequate words to it. Better is one day in his courts, than a thousand elsewhere the glory coming will have no rival to set itself up against the perfection of God there will be undying praise that will be more static in one moment than all the top of the mountain experiences we've had put together so far there will be unmatched beauty In the heavenly kingdom, there will be unbroken fellowship with God and with others. There is no duration to to this, this is eternal. But we have something that we have to endure not only the sufferings, but we have to, I call it the big weight. We'll call it the weight. So what is present verse 18 tells us what is present that's kind of a fill-in-the-blank there for you we consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us what is present sufferings and then paul goes on to talk about all of creation experiencing something creation waits verse 19 the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed Paul is saying that both animate and inanimate objects wait Verses 22 and 23 say this, We know that the whole creation, he makes a distinction between all of creation, animate and inanimate, and you, human beings. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves have had the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait again twice the word is used eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies and we are subjected to frustration are you frustrated <laughs> verse 20 for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage creation eventually liberated from bondage because of satan the god of this age all creation All creation is in slavery to its corruption, yet one day there will be liberation. In other words, similar to the truth that we will have new uncorrupted physical bodies, the physical universe and its content are not destined for utter, absolute, complete destruction, but renewal but renewal. Second Peter, a couple passages here for you. Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward eagerly and with patience to a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Revelation chapter 21 last chapter second to the last chapter of Scripture Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away It's coming But as verse 22 says creation groans This groaning is not only personal for humans Specifically, followers of Christ, but Paul tells us that it affects everything. Nature is decayed, it is being ruined, and is perishing like humanity is. Yet, thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Things are simply out of order, things have not been cr- corrected like they will upon the full rule and reign of Christ. And that's coming. And again, we ourselves, verse 23 says, we groan inwardly. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, and we wait eagerly. Paul speaks of we, or followers of Jesus, who are full of sorrow about the state of the world today. And this is no different from people who lived in the first century, I suspect. They had sorrow. People in the Middle Ages, people 50 years ago, and certainly today. I just turned uh, 61 a month ago, and I see things that I've not seen in my lifetime. And it is getting weirder and weirder. Yet I bank on this I land on this passage often Because it speaks to what is going on and I want to read this to you in second peter Chapter four you're probably familiar with this passage second peter I'm sorry first peter chapter four dear friends Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We long for his return to make things right. We groan about it. There is a pain in waiting. But wait we must. For his timing is perfect. We wait with eager anticipation. I was listening uh, to a pastor last week illustrating how... We are so near to the coming of our Lord. He mentioned how his kids would ask when they were traveling on vacation. We all know this. He mentioned how his kids would say, are, are, we, are we there yet? They'd ask, are we there yet? On the trip that he was trying to do this illustration, he, he, he said they were traveling to um, the beach, Californian beach. And they just got out of Arizona and um, came into California, just right on the border. Kids are asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? say, well, we're in California, but there's a little bit of ways to go. might be two or three hours before we get to the beach. So we say, we're close. We might groan and have this on our lips to say, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready. Let me drag as many with me before you come, though. And then there's the big hope. We have the big hope in verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait. We're, we're to be eager, and yet we're to be patient. <laughs> hope, hope, hope. As in, this is our hope that we pin everything on by faith. It is actually a blessed assurance, and I emphasize assurance, not a wish-filled hope that it will turn out in some way like, I'm hoping for a good result on my blood test. We longingly wait, we hope, for the full realization of our adoption as sons and daughters. Of the Creator and the redemption of our bodies. It is the hope of our resurrection. It is the hope, in fact, a certainty, that we will see Him as He is in all His glory. This hope is certain, but has not yet materialized. For that, we groan and we wait eagerly yet patiently. I want to close with this point, and it's the power of prayer. Verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans. There's another groaner. The Holy Spirit That words cannot express and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Do you know Jesus is praying for you right now? Just a couple of excerpts from the high priestly prayer found in John chapter 17. Verse 9 Jesus is saying, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but those you have given me. Verse 11 Holy Father, Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 15, Jesus is praying and says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And verse 20, My prayer, Jesus is praying, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Do you get that? He's not only praying for you, but he's praying for the people that you're going to interact with that will hear the message. He's praying for your evangelization success. Not only is Jesus still praying, but make note that the Holy Spirit helps us with our ongoing prayers. Verse 23, Paul says we're groaning. But here in verse 26, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is groaning or praying in words that cannot be humanly expressed. You can imagine a copier breaking down. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not mechanically inclined at all. I don't know any of the names of the parts. You can call a repair person if the copier breaks down to service the copier. And maybe over the phone they ask, oh, what, what's the problem? What's the problem? You say, well, well, the paper's kind of like stuck in the ruler thingy. There are also some other issues, but you don't know the name. I wouldn't know the name of the parts and you find yourself unable to explain with, with much clarity. So they send the repair, uh, repair person over and the technician arrives and takes a few minutes to assess the situation and calls the office with the parts that are needed. And uh, there were several uh, technical terms, you overheard the conversation of parts that you've never heard of, uh, but the person on the other end, were quite familiar with them. And an hour later, the the parts arrive, the copier is fixed. So the need was met because someone came and communicated to the repair shop in ways I could not communicate. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. You don't know how to pray for something. God is with you. He knows precisely what we need and prays perfect communiques that the father gets exactly the reference in verse 27 of he is speaking of the father he is so unified and one with the son and the spirit there is no need for audible speech they just know that they know the thoughts of each other in the godhead Not only do we pray, but the Trinity is participating in prayer by not only hearing us, but instigating prayer and participating in the process. If you and I have not been suffering very much, well, good on you but it will be coming it's not if but when don't be so surprised though this section of scripture is for our instruction to be ready to fight the good fight of totally trusting in god like like never before and to not be conquered by discouragement by despair or even unbelief as many will fall away scripture tells us endure to the end run the race get up if you fall we gather together in church assemblies like this and in small groups and at over each other's homes we gather together to help each other endure. To keep our eyes on the prize. And placing the gospel, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, is primary, of first importance. So that we can do, and I'll close with this, that we can do what Jude instructed us to do drink the sin Jude writes but you dear friends build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Check this out. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear. God is awesome. Fear Him in that way. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Why don't you stand?